Thank you, praise team. That was tremendous this morning. We appreciate your ministry. All right, we have a little, some questions here. Some class participation is required. No, it's not required, but I'd like for you to have some participation with me this morning before we start uh, back in Second Peter. How many of you husbands need reminders from time to time? Raise your hand. Wow. Maybe we should change the subject and talk about honesty. Uh, I'm raising both of my hands. And how many of you wives enjoy giving your husband reminders? Wow, we might have to do a class on marriage, right? Reminders are necessary in our lives. In fact, if you research the scriptures in the New Testament, uh, one would find that the Apostle Paul was one who continually reminded those that were given to his charge. In fact, uh, Philippians in the third chapter, I'll just read this uh, just to kind of illustrate this point. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things. Again, is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard or protection for you. Um, one theologian wrote about this particular verse in relationship to Paul and reminders. He says, like any good teacher, Paul was a never, never afraid of repetition. It may well be said that one of our faults today is the desire for novelty. The great truths of Christianity do not change, and we cannot hear them too often. You get that last sentence? Uh, the great truths of Christianity do not change, and we cannot hear them too often. Peter had that same mind as Paul. He understood the importance of reminding believers about critical points in the Christian life. And one of those critical points in the Christian life, and I want to make sure that we're all on the same page here this morning, is that Peter's emphasis in chapter 1 of 2 Peter is on spiritual growth. He wanted them to pay attention to their own growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he told them in verse 3 of chapter 1 that as believers, we've been set up for victorious Christian growth. Notice verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's given us everything that we need to grow in relationship to him. And if you're a believer in Christ today, he has given you the spirit of the living God. You have his spirit and he is your teacher. He reminds you, doesn't he? In fact, um, that's exactly what Jesus told the disciples in John's gospel. He said, listen, you're going to have another helper of the same kind, and he's going to do what? He's going to remind you. <laughs> because we need reminders. In fact, it would be arrogant of us to say that we don't need reminders. Every one of us need reminders in the Christian life. And how often are we encouraged to remember the importance of spiritual growth. 
You know, and spiritual growth is not this thing that, that, is, that is tied up in, in me putting my Bible under my pillow and hoping something's going to happen. You know, spiritual growth is tied to the necessary, my necessary involvement in God's Word on a day-to-day basis. That's the only way that I'm going to grow as a believer in Christ. I have to be committed to that process of going through his word. You know, I hear from time to time um, people have, have made comments, well, I just don't understand it. I don't understand what's being said. Well, read it and read it again and read it again and read it again and ask for the Spirit of God to give you discernment. And if you still don't understand it, maybe go to someone that you think has been through this passage and get them to explain it to you. And just like Francis Chan pointed out in the video, I mean, you know, we, we have each other in the body of Christ, right? And we can grow, help one another grow in that. And so um, it's important to be reminded, and that's what Peter's doing in this text. He's reminding them of the importance of spiritual growth. And so as you come to verse 12... Peter gives to us, if you will, Peter gives to us his last will and testament. His commitment to remind these believers about growing in relationship to Christ. And and it's revealed in these three I statements. Three I statements here in 2 Peter chapter 1. You remember the first statement was made in verse 12. When Peter said, I shall be ready. In fact, he uses the word always. I shall always be ready verse 12, to remind you of these things. What things? The things he had talked about, right? Previous to this, specifically in verses five through seven, when he says supply to your faith, what? Moral excellence. And to moral excellence, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, what? Godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. And so he gives us, or he gives to his original readers, and so subsequently he gives to us those things that we need to be concentrating on as believers in Christ. And so Peter makes this this personal commitment to remind them, and that's what we saw in verse 12. As we come to verse 13 through 15 this morning, these verses as well... Peter's talking about this issue of reminding these believers. And so verse 13 tells us, Peter says, and I consider it right. This is a second I statement. And I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. Verse 14, knowing the laying aside or the putting off of my earthly dwelling. It's a picture of putting off a garment knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. It's at hand. As also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And so the second statement of commitment that you see here from Peter to remind is found in verse 13. He says, and I consider it right. Well, if you do a little word study, it helps you understand that Peter here is talking about personal integrity. We see here Peter's personal integrity in, verses 13, in verse 13. You say, where do you get that? Well, from that word there, right. From the word right. The word right here uh, means to render to each his due. Right? Render to each his due. And so th- this is the picture. 
Peter had a picture of the responsibility, of his responsibility as a shepherd to each one of those believers. Peter had in his mind, right, this is the picture, to render to each his due. What was due them? Well, what was due them was reminders. And Peter makes here a commitment. He's like, hey, listen, I consider it right. I consider the fact that I owe you. It is the right thing to do as a shepherd to continually remind you of these things. And so he says, I consider it right. So he's talking about here his personal integrity in the ministry. As I wrote up there in my notes, um, to render each his due, meaning that Peter felt a personal responsibility to all the believers. You know, it, it's, it's what drives me every single week. I have a personal responsibility to you to stand up here and open God's word. It's a personal responsibility. God has charged me with that responsibility. He hasn't charged me with the responsibility of coming up here on Sundays and opening up a comic book. Right? He hasn't charged me with coming up here every Sunday and making sure that you feel good when you leave. In fact, there's a lot of weeks that when I'm studying this, I don't feel very good at all. It challenges me. But that's what the Word of God does, correct? It challenges us. And so Peter's making here a commitment. It involves his personal integrity to the ministry that God had given to him to render to each one of them what was due. Well, what was due them? Well, we don't have to guess. It tells us. Look at verse 13. I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up. So what was due them? Stirring them up. He knew his responsibility was to stir them up. Now that word, to stir, is an interesting word. It means to arouse or to awaken. How many of you have been to school? Amen? Love school, right? You remember school? Did you ever have a teacher that had to awake you or arouse you because you had lost interest? Any of you, I'm not going to mention any names, but when I was in college, we had a professor that, that said something like this, kind brother, won't you stand and stretch? Kind sister, won't you rejoin us? I had a third grade teacher. Miss Bugs was her name. And if you weren't paying attention in her class... You know, and, and of course, I was in third grade then. I didn't under, have an understanding of nails and the importance of nails and all that stuff. She had those nails. That, I mean, they were long. And she would come up and she would grab your ear with those nails. Pay attention. Wake up. I might have had that happen to me on occasion. Well... The picture here is to awaken or to arouse. And in the context of the passage, it, it's this idea to stir up the mind, to awaken the mind. Well, why? Because we fall asleep. There's a propensity to fall asleep. 
we need to be awakened at times. Do you remember in the gospel when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he goes off to pray and he tells his disciples to pray and he comes back to them? What are they doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. Warren Wiersbe says this, Peter purposed to stir them up by reminding them of the truth that they had learned. Hey guys, listen. We live in a day and a time where the church needs to be awakened. I really believe the church is sleepwalking. I believe there are many in the church today that are just kind of going through the Christian life. But I've got great news for you. The Lord, listen, if you're a believer in Christ today and you've been sealed by the Spirit and you have eternity... But as we are living, you know what God wants us to do? He wants us to grow closer to Him. But there's a propensity to sleep. One theologian said this, too many professing Christians are sleepwalking, which impacts doctrinal integrity and moral integrity. I thought, that's right. That's right. There are too many professing Christians that are sleepwalking, which impacts doctrinal integrity. I gave you that quote by Warren Wiersbe where he said, Peter purposed to stir them up by way of reminding them of the truth, right, that they had learned. Well, why is this so critical? You know, why is it so critical that Peter would even use this a pretty strong term? Because, as we said, there's a propensity to sleep. And you know what? When there's a propensity to sleep, the believer becomes vulnerable. Are you listening to me? The believer becomes vulnerable. In fact, there can be even compromise. I like the word vulnerability best because if we're sleepwalking through the Christian life, we're not even sure what's going necessarily on around us. Like, let me give you an example. So, do you recognize that one of the issues that is being um, discussed in seminaries and colleges, Bible colleges and seminaries today, is the inerrancy of Scripture. Do you understand that there is a battle for the inerrancy of Scripture? Do you understand that there is a battle in relationship to the deity of Christ? Do you understand that there's a battle in relationship to the fact that hell is real? Do you recognize that there's a battle out there going on in churches today? Right? Churches today to want to change the gospel so that it sounds good to the hearers. You recognize those battles are going on right now. Well, we want to, don't want to be vulnerable, but I want to give you some things that can take place when there's vulnerability. Uh, I've kind of labeled them as isms. Beware of the isms, right? If I'm sleepwalking, right, and I'm not not paying attention to spiritual growth, these isms can impact me, right? Um, Here we go. Humanism. You know what humanism is, right? Humanism says, isn't man wonderful? And all God's people said, man, man is wonderful, right? Is that what the Bible says? The Bible doesn't say that. In fact, just so you know it's not something that's made up, go back to Romans in the first 
chapter, excuse me, the third chapter. I want to show you something. Romans chapter 3. As Paul is writing, really, a dissertation on the condition of man, you come to chapter 3 and, and he clearly states the problem with man. The conclusion is found in verse 23. All have what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, if you back up to verse 9, it says, What then are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under what? All under sin, as it is written. Now, by the way, that little three-letter word is offensive in our culture. Um, But all have sinned, as Paul comes to the conclusion in verse 23. Look, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even what? One. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. As I was reading that this last week and reminding, being reminded of man's condition, I thought about our world. Wow. How about just that statement? With their tongues, they keep deceiving. We live in a culture that keeps deceiving. They're deceiving our young people today in the schools, teaching that evolution is not theory but fact. It's deception. The enemy has made tremendous strides in the home today, convincing men that they're really not the leader of the home. Is that what the Bible says? The Bible says that Christ is the head of the church as what? Right? The husband is to be what? The head of his home. There's a lot of deception going on. Verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness... I mean, I think, how many times could we just rewind that tape to see somebody shaking their fist at God? Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the path of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And my friends, if you're waiting for that culture to be here, you're, you're, you're not seeing straight. Just as Paul wrote about it in that culture then to the believers in Rome, it's true today. Is it man wonderful? Answer, no. No, man's not wonderful. Man is a sinner, according to the Bible. Secondism is hedonism, which says, isn't sin wonderful? Well, if you just look, and we don't have time to go through all these in detail, But if you look at Scripture in relationship to sin, sin is devastating. True or false? It's devastating. Sin destroys lives. Sin has great consequence to it. Another ism is materialism. Materialism says, isn't money wonderful? Well, Jesus himself said you can't serve God in what? 
Mammon can't do it. But now listen, this is important to remember. This is in the context of, of, of those maybe who are not continuing on that path of growth and what they're vulnerable to. So humanism, hedonism, materialism, relativism. Relativism says this, if it's wonderful for you, it's wonderful. You remember in Israel's history, it says that everyone did what was right in what? Their own eyes. So if it's right for that, it's right. If it's right for you, it's right. And that's the culture that you and I live in today. Universalism. These next three kind of go together and I want to talk about and give you an illustration. Universalism says there are no differences. Well, if you had everyone in Birmingham gather all the churches, everyone in Birmingham, right? Everyone who's attending church today come into one building. Are there differences? Yes, there are differences. All right, I'm going to illustrate it in just a minute. Ecumenism says, look, overlook the differences. I can't do that. It's just not in me to do that. I cannot do that. And then syncretism says, fuse together the systems of belief. Well, those last three I kind of dealt with when I was in New York and I was a part of a ministerium. A ministerium is a group of pastors that come together for a cause. That's kind of the definition I've come up with. They come together for a cause. And I remember uh, coming together for a cause and the cause was leading devotions in a high school for students before school every Thursday morning. And so I was really excited about that cause. But it was interesting, the first several weeks were fine and then all of a sudden I come one morning and it's my turn to share with a group of students. And so I, I, I barely get through the door and one of the students says to me, hey, Thad, I've never heard you say that we have to pray to Mary. Have you ever said that? And I said, no, I haven't said that. Well, that's what we're being told. I, I just don't understand it. Well, this collective group of ministers got together for the purpose or for the cause of encouraging these students in Bible study and prayer. But do you know what was true? We couldn't even come together on a basic doctrinal statement. I'm talking about a basic doctrinal statement. Because when it came to salvation, the mode of salvation, how a man is saved, pretty much there was agreement except with a couple there who believed that it was uh, salvation by grace through faith plus works. But there was a group there that didn't believe that, that believed it was salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ alone plus nothing. But then, you know what else happened? Then I found out there was, even in that, there was really not a unity 
Because there was a couple of those that didn't believe in the security of the believer. And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't, I was 26, 27 years old, man. I was just starting out in the ministry. I didn't know those kind of people existed. You know, I thought we were all one big happy family. I knew about some, but I wasn't aware that within quote unquote evangelicalism, there was even divide where we were discussing the issue of the security of the believer. And I was just so dumb, right? And I was so naive. I was just like, well, that's not what the Bible says. But you know what the problem has been, guys? It's out there. Listen to me. And that's what I respect about some of these guys that get on these, some of the guys that, that really stand for the truth. One of the things I really respect, respected so much, whether you agree with all his positions or not, I, agree, I, I love so much about John MacArthur was when he was on CNN years ago, he would say, the Bible says. It was never about him. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And you know, the problem today is, is that we come together with a group of people and, and the authority is not the word. The authority is the person. But I'm here to stand before you today to say the authority is the word of God. It's the word of God. And so, all those things though, right? As I was thinking about this, you know, and and what Peter was doing with these believers, I'm like, well, you know what? If I'm not careful to give attention to spiritual growth, these things can impact me. And so, it's very critical that that we stand on the word of God, that we grow in our relationship to Christ. And so Paul, or Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, I consider it right. It's what's due you as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, this earthly tent to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent as also our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. And so his second statement, his second I statement is I consider it right. Well, then you come to the third I statement, which is found in verse 13. And he says, I will also be diligent. Notice what it says, verse 15. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. I call this Peter's endeavor or his effort. The word diligent there means to make effort. It means to exert energy. The word also conveys the idea of concentrated effort. Well, in the context of the passage, what's Peter's concentrated effort? What's he concentrating on? My goodness, he says it a million times. What's he concentrating on? These things, these things, these things. The effort in this context is Peter's just saying this. I'm going to put forth all the effort, all the energy that I have to encourage you to strengthen you so that you will consider how important it is to grow in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ so that you will understand the importance of supplying in your faith moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge and in your knowledge self-control and in your self-control perseverance and in your perseverance godliness and in your godliness brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness love, right? And so after a while, I mean, you're like, ah, oh, it's enough. But it's never enough. It's never enough. We can never be reminded enough. Peter's making a commitment to them. He's saying, my endeavor, my effort is to be diligent up to the point 
of my departure. Why? Well, he tells them. He says, I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. That phrase, to call these things, is an interesting phrase. In the original language, it really reads better this way. All right? In context, it reads better to continually have remembrance of these truths. So he wants to be diligent in his efforts and his energy to encourage them in order that they would have remembrance of the truth or these truths that he mentioned. Um, Question becomes, why? Why is it so critical? Why is it so critical that Peter would have made this statement to be diligent? Because he knew what they were facing, chapter 2, verse 1. It's right there, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, but false prophets also arose among them, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon them. Peter knew the landscape. He understood. He understood what they were up against. He understood what they were facing. They were facing false teachers, just as you and I face false teachers today. We face those who, who'd say, well, there's other ways to God. It's not only Christ. We say, well, no, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Peter preached. What did he preach? Acts chapter 4. There is salvation in what? No other name. None. But you know, people, ministers today are too concerned about placating to their people in order that they would feel comfortable. Listen, I'm saying, listen, my God is all about love. God demonstrated his love toward me and that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. God loves, but God's also just. God's also just. And unfortunately, for those that never received Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're going to feel that. You know, guys, if you and I are in Christ today, do you realize that, that what we deserve, we're not going to get? <laughs> Have you thought about that? I deserve hell. I deserve the wrath of God. I'm not getting that. I mean, that sounds pretty good, right? I'm not getting what I deserve. And so Peter wanted them to understand the importance of remembering these truths, of deepening their relationship to the Lord, and he made his commitment to do so. Um, One of the reasons that you and I need to do that, as we said, is because of these false teachers. And I want to take you through just 2 Timothy real quick. I want to give you just three or four scriptures that I want you to remember. 2 Timothy, I want you to begin with me. In 2 Timothy, I wrote this down on another sheet of paper. Here it is. 2 Timothy in uh, the first chapter. 2 Timothy chapter 1. You know, Peter's just absolutely consumed with their spiritual growth. He loves them. He's a shepherd. He wants them to, to pay attention as they're living the Christian life. And um, because there are those that want to distract us from the truth... Paul had that same mind in 2 Timothy. This is his um, final letter. And in verses 13 through 18 of chapter 1, he says this. 
Retain the standard of what? Sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard, look at all these action terms. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesphorus, for he often refreshed me It was not ashamed of my chains, but when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered in in Ephesus. Notice, Notice verse 13 and 14. Retain the standard of sound words. How does one do that? How do you retain the standard of sound words? Stay in the word, right? First of all, you have to know what the sound words are. And you have to stay there. You have to remain there. And then he says, verse 14, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure of the gospel which has been entrusted to you. Then if you go to uh, chapter three, look at chapter three with me. In verse one, he says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Man, that really describes our day, doesn't it? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And notice what Paul says, and avoid such as these, such men as these. Avoid them. When you skip down and you go to verse 12, notice what he says. And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, doing what? What does verse 13 say? Deceiving and being deceived. I love verse 14. Because, man, if you're reading this, if you're Timothy and you're coming to this point in the letter, man, this has been some hard stuff. I mean, there's warnings. There's, there's a tremendous amount of instruction for Timothy. Hey, you better pay attention. And then you come to verse 14. He says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Hey, guys, for Timothy, his Bible was what? What was his Bible? What was his Bible? Old Testament. Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Guys, listen. The Word of God does not change. From cover to cover, it's about grace and faith. Notice what he says in 15, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to what? Salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. 
all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. What's Paul doing? You know what Paul's doing? Paul is giving Timothy reminders. That's what he's doing. <laughs> Did Timothy need him? Answer, yes. Well, let me give you one more. Look at verse no, chapter 4, verse 1, it goes right into it. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Man, you just can't get much clearer than that. Can you? Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. In other words, all the time. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? Well, he tells you, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And we're in that day. We're in it. You know, you think about the, the commitment to remind that Peter had. Uh, and you look at this and the commitment that Paul had. Why did they have this commitment? I mean, it's kind of radical, right? I mean, if you look at if you look at Second Peter one, you're going, man, Peter, how many times do you have to use that phrase? These things is it really that necessary? Answer: Yes. I mean, is it really necessary for for Paul to have spoken over and over and over again? about the importance of God's word and teaching God's word and preaching God's word and standing on the truth? And the answer is yes. It's critical. Because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You know what? Look at the activity of these guys at the end of verse three. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to miss. So I look at Second Peter chapter 1 and I have to say, well, you know what? I remember the, when I first started reading this, right? I read this book several times and I started studying and I'm like, man, Peter's just consumed with these things. And so I had to ask myself this question. And I ask you this question, are you consumed with these things? Maybe even a better question, should we be consumed with these things? Yes. Because guys, you know, and you know it better than I do, because you're out there every day, right? I'm in this tucked away safe place, this office. But you're out in the world every day, and you hear what's going on. And you see what's going on. And the propensity that people have to compromise in relationship to God and to Christ and the gospel. And how it's even impacted churches today. So much so, right? You never thought you'd come today to a day in the church when a church would stand up and say that homosexuality it's okay 
You never thought, did you, that you'd stand up and be able to say, you know, I never thought I would hear, not only that homosexuality was okay, but I never thought I would hear, well, abortion's okay. It's not okay. And it's not okay because I say it's not okay. It's not okay because the Bible says it's not okay. The picture of marriage is given right in the very beginning. Well, Adam was a man and Eve was a what? A woe man. She was good looking. Woe man. And from the very beginning, that's how it was. And what's man done? He's twisted it. He's twisted it. Culture, listen to me, culture so much influences the church. Well, we can't let it influence our lives personally because you know what happens is we let it influence our lives, then we bring it into the church. So we need to remember, right? Remember. I illustrated last week, right? Last, I tried to anyway with my phone, right? Nowadays, we don't need those post-its, right? We have the phone and we can say, hey, Siri, remind me. And Siri says, I'll remind you, right? But the importance of remembering well, I want to close with this illustration. There's a story I read about a town that was committed to remembering a fallen hero. For 60 years, Peggy Harris waited to hear what happened to her husband, Billy, during World War II. Billy was a pilot in action over France. Due to various mistakes, she never was told where his remains were or if he was considered MIA, which means missing in action, or KIA, which means killed in action. Finally, the family discovered there was really no mystery. He was buried with his comrades at Normandy, France. What surprised Peggy was to discover that for 60 years, a small French town had honored the memory of Billy Harris. They named a street after him and had an annual ceremony honoring him. Why? Because it was widely known in the French village that although he was badly wounded, Harris directed his stricken plane away from the village and into the woods, which saved many lives. Peggy Harris, who remained unmarried, now visits the town and the grave on occasion. The town was treated as her family. Peggy has been able to become friends with a man who tried to rescue her husband. And the mayor of this town said of Billy Harris in a speech given, we don't forget. Man, when I read that, I was like, that's awesome. We don't forget. So I'm thinking, well, if there's this little French town who can remember this fallen hero who took his plane and, and, and uh, put it in a direction that where it wouldn't kill a lot of people, if they can have a, a memory of him, then surely, surely it's important for you and for me to remember that the Lord Jesus wants us to supply in our faith moral excellence and our moral excellence knowledge, and our knowledge self-control, and our self-control perseverance, 
in our perseverance, godliness, in our godliness, brotherly kindness, and in our brotherly kindness, love. Lord, help us to remember what you did for us and help us to live for your glory. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I really love the fact that Peter was committed. There was a faithfulness in his life to you which had direct impact on the believers that he writes to. He was concerned with, for their spirituality. He wanted them to grow. And he recognized that the world that they were living in and the world he was living in was a perverse world just like it is today. And that there were, that there were people that were distorting the truth. He knew the battle was real. It's one thing to observe um, from a distance the battle. Because we can say, well, I don't want to be a part of that. Um, But whether we know it or not, this morning, um, if we're in Christ, there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on for our children. There's a battle going on for our grandchildren. There's a battle going on for the truth. There's a battle going on for the home. There's a battle going on for the inerrancy of Scripture. There's a battle going on. Lord, help us not to sleepwalk through the battle. I just want to thank you, Lord, that as your word tells us here in Second Peter, we've been equipped with everything we need for life and godliness. You desire that we would grow. <laughs> And you've given us the equipment to do so. You've given us your spirit. And I pray that as the disciples were dependent on the spirit who would remind them that we would be dependent on the spirit who can remind us. That we would never look at these things as being something simply that's, oh, it's just, you know, it's almost to the point of I don't need to hear that again. Lord, help us not to be that way. Because when I think about the New Testament, while Paul was committed, he he wrote about the gospel to churches. Why? Because he wanted them to remember the gospel. Lord, help us to remember. Help us to be thankful people that we might grow in our relationship to you And Lord, help us as we're out in this battle to be willing to stand, to be willing to stand for the truth. Thank you for Peter's commitment. Thank you for Paul's commitment. Help us to be committed to the things that enable us to grow spiritually. And help us, Lord, to pass on these things to others. Help us to be committed to being involved in the lives of other believers so that we might see them grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray all these things. Amen.